You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. James chapter 4. We're going to read the first 10 verses of James. Then uh, we'll have you turn to Hebrews 10 later in the, in the message, but you can uh, start here in James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse number 1. The Bible says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust that war in your members? Ye lust and ye have not, ye kill and ye desire to have, and ye cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask, ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss. They may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. <clears throat> Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. So we have this passage here in James, familiar probably to many of us. There's There's a lot of good stuff here. There are about a dozen messages that could be preached from these 10 verses, if not more. Um, And we're going to pick out one particular place that we're going to talk about today. Uh, But just to kind of give context here, he's talking, it's very obvious, warning about Christians being too buddy-buddy with the world. Rubbing shoulders, getting right up in the business, being almost the same as the way the world acts. Um, That's not where we're going to go today, but that's pertinent for us. Um, He talks about submitting ourselves to God, submitting who we are to him, resisting the devil, and he'll flee from us. James gives us a lot of good information here for Christians and how to behave around each other, how to treat each other, how to make sure we separate ourselves for him, how to submit ourselves to him, how to draw nigh to him, how to be humble. And we're going to talk about drawing nigh to him today. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into the message. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for being God. Thank you for showing your son and letting him and sending him and allowing him and being willing to come to earth to sacrifice yourself so that we can spend eternity with you. Lord, I pray that you always remind us of that. Never let us take that for granted. Thank you for being you. Lord, I pray that you'll be with the service here this morning. Give me clarity of mind. Help me to say the things that you would have me say to be a beneficial help to your people. Thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so for most most of you know, I have uh, three children. Uh, My youngest just turned two just a couple weeks ago. And if you recall, for those of you that are parents, when children are two years old, guys, remember the twos? They have a name for the twos. They call them the terrible twos. 
Um, and, you know, sometimes that's true. Um, there are also names for terrible 22s, terrible 32s. It's not just the two-year-olds only, and once they get past that, everything's, you know, just great. Um, but, but Gemma is her name, and she's, she's great. I mean, I'm a little biased, obviously, um, but she's, she's adorable. She's just the best little girl in the entire world. Um, and when we look at the Bible here, verse number 8 is kind of where we're going to spend most of our time drawing nigh to God. You know, there's nothing like when you're a father or a mother and your little, little daughter or your little son just kind of like snuggles up to you. You know, it lasts for like 10 seconds and then they want on the ground. And then 10 seconds later, they want back on the couch. And then 10 seconds later, they want to crawl over you. And then 10 seconds later, they're eating something they shouldn't be eating. You know, that's two-year-olds, right? They're everywhere. They're all over the place. But the, the moments, the brief fleeting moments when I can get Gemma to just kind of chill out, relax, not be bouncing off the walls, and sit next to me on the couch, and if she ever puts her head on your shoulder, or if you ever have your arm around her and she just kind of lays on your lap, as a father and as, as, as a mother, I assume, never been one, but I assume the feeling is similar, um, there's nothing like it. It just it melts your heart. They could have they tore the house apart ten minutes ago. They could have drawn crayons all over the, the walls, the couch, but the minute they draw an eye to you, the minute she just lays her head on my shoulder, everything, it's, everything's fine. Everything's all forgiven. I mean, I'll deal with those later because you still have to deal with them. But that moment, there's nothing like it for her just to draw an eye, and it just pulls your heartstrings towards her. And we often say that our life and our Christian lives are similar to the way you know, God looks at us just like we look at our children. Uh, God loves us like that, plus times infinity more. God loves us way more than we can even love because he's God. And he allowed his son to die for us so that he can have that relationship with us. Now, I like all of you, but I'm not going to let any my son sacrifice his life for you nor would you let your son sacrifice on purpose his life for me. But God was willing to do that with his child, with God the Son, so that we could have a relationship with him, so that we could have the opportunity to draw nigh to God. Now, as Christians, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've heard sermons on drawing nigh to him. You've heard many messages and lessons about that. But let me ask you just very bluntly, how are you and God? If I were to give a title, that would be my title to the sermon, is How Are You and God? Everyone has a relationship with God. Every living human being on this earth has a relationship with God. Some manner, some degree, everybody does. There's not one person that lives on this earth that doesn't have some kind of relationship with God. Even those that are not saved don't, don't believe he exists. They have a relationship with God to some degree or another. If, if it only goes, doesn't go beyond God and creation, that's a relationship. We're all created by him. He is a create, our creator. Even if there's an individual in the world that doesn't believe he exists, atheist, they still have a relationship with God. So how are you and God? How's your relationship with God right now, this morning, today? How is your relationship with him? Parents, you ever ask your kids that question? Lisa's asked Carter this, and Carter's, oh, he'll be 12 here real soon. 
Uh, anytime there's been, not every time, but there was a time where he'd have an attitude, right? You'd usually you're telling him something to do he doesn't want to do. Um, my 12-year-old doesn't always like to do some things when you're telling him to. Usually it's clean your room, stop doing this, go do that. Ugh. Attitude, stomping, shoulders slumped, just not, you know, not fully invested into the, the task at hand. And Lisa's called him on it before. She's like, given, if you're giving your parents attitude, parents... Ask your kids straight up, how are you and God? What? That's usually the answer you'll get. What? Huh? When they get to the age where they start dating, you're going to ask them, how are you and -and so-and-so, aren't you? We care about that. My dad did that a lot. All the the girlfriends I had before Lisa, which were awful people, just just, it didn't work out. Uh, My dad and my mom, that's bad, they're not awful people. My (laughs) My mom and dad would ask me, how are you and so-and-so? Because they wanted to know how our relationship was. They wanted to know what was going on. And as parents, they have that right to know. And parents, you should, if, when your kids get to that age, ask them, how's your relationship with so-and-so? But why do we ask them about their relationship with that boy or girl that they're dating if we've never asked them, how's your relationship with God? How are you and God doing? You good? You bad? You indifferent? Where you stand? As parents, we should want to know how our, our kids are with God. But here's the thing. You ask your kid, how are you and God? you got to know how you and God are as well. You can't just be asking your kids, how are you and God when, well, how are you and God? So I have a few answers, possible answers to that question this morning. Um, there are a lot of answers, and I have broken it down to about as simplistic as you can get. There are many more complex answers than the ones I'm going to get, but they all boil down to these basic answers to the question, how are you and God? So the very first one we have is, I don't know. So if someone asks, or you ask yourself, how are you and God? How are you and God? I don't know. That's the first answer. Indifference. I don't know. Questioning. Um, this is going to probably be the answer that the unsaved are going to give. When you're out talking to people, and you talk to your coworker, you talk to your family member, when you ask them about their home, their eternity, if they're going to heaven when they die, this is essentially the question you're asking is, how are you and God? How's your relationship with God? And before salvation, a lot of times it'll be, I don't know. What should it be? What is my relationship with God? I don't know. He's, God is God. I'm just me. That doesn't matter. But again, regardless of if they know what their relationship with God is, they have a relationship with God. If it just is only creator and creation, there is a relationship there. And God wants to grow that relationship, doesn't he? He's not willing that any should perish. There's uncertainty. This can be an answer from saved people, from people that are God's children. They could say, I don't know. How is your relationship? How are you and God? I don't, I don't know. There's some uncertainty. They're not, maybe you're not sure where you stand with God right now. And the thing with all these answers we're going to give, we could answer all of these at some point in our life. We may answer all of these at some point in our day. It's not a, you answer this one and that's the way it always is. Just like with your relationship with your own father, your own mother, your own children, your brothers. It changes. It varies from day to day. It can be different, and it's no different with God. 
the thing about your relationship with God is God's always the same. Whereas your human relationship with your father, you could be having a bad day, he could be having a bad day. Those are variables that you don't have to worry about with God. God is always the same. God is, it doesn't say, you know, maybe he'll draw an eye to you. It says that if you draw an eye to him, he's there. He is all, he's ready to go. He's waiting. He's drawing an eye to you. He's moved before you even started to think about it. He is willing and ready to be right there for you. He will draw nigh to you. There is no uncertainty with him. The uncertainty is on our side. So the first question or first answer to how are you and God could be, I don't know. So what do you do with that? If, you, if I ask you today, you ask yourself right now, not out loud in, in your inner monologue, how am I and God? How, how are we? How are we right now? And if your answer is I don't know, well, we need to change that. One, if you're not saved, you don't know you're, that, that Jesus died for you. You don't know that if you were to die today, you'd be on your way to heaven. You don't realize that, that Jesus sacrificed himself for your sins so, and paid for them so that you don't have to. We need to fix that today. God did all those things for you. Your sins deserve a punishment. And without a consequence for that, without Jesus' blood covering that sin that you have, you have to pay for them yourself. And the only way that can happen is you spend eternity in hell. Forever. Because the only way that payment can be made. It's an eternal payment. But Jesus paid for it for you. So once you accept him as your Savior, understand what he has done and accept that gift, that sacrifice, well, now your relationship, once you do that, now your relationship begins to grow. Now you do know how your relationship is. He's not your creator. Now he's your Savior. And that moves your relationship in the right direction. If you are saved and you don't know how your relationship is with God, it starts with you. It starts with you finding out what that is. And that involves work. That involves you getting into God's word, you getting into what God has given you and start to build that relationship, start to grow that relationship. Go back to a dating relationship. You don't get to know each other without spending time with each other, do you? When you started dating your spouse or teenagers, as you start to look to, to date when you get into college and parents, I know, when they get to be their 20s, late 20s or so, and they start dating, you know, start getting serious, late, late 20s, not any time before, they start getting serious with someone, you got to spend time with that person. You got to get to know them. You talk to them. You listen to them. You get to know their likes, their, the, what, they, what they enjoy, what they don't like. Those are important things to know. Same thing with God. If you don't know where your relationship is, you got to get to know what he likes. You got to start to talk to him. You got to start to study the things that you know he likes and wants from you. That's how you start to build that relationship. So the first answer is, I don't know. Second answer, and this is a dangerous one. So if I were to say, how are you and God? I don't care. That's an answer. I don't care. And it can be a flippant, I really don't care. Or it can be a very angry, bitter, I do not care. Hopefully none of us are there. Hopefully none of us in here are at the point where if, if you ask yourself, how are you and God, don't ask me that question. It doesn't matter. I don't care how God and I are. That's a dangerous place to be. Again, it could be someone that's unsaved can answer that way. No interest in God. 
Maybe they don't believe in God, and they could care less. That isn't, that's a possibility. Some Christians can have that answer. A lot of times when that answer comes from a Christian, that person's living for themselves. They have their own agenda, they have their own desires, their own goals, and that's, that's what's important. And if God gets in, he's going to get in the way of all that. And so I don't care what my relationship with God is. That takes a back seat, maybe even in the trailer behind the car. I don't, even, I, care, I don't care. He's at the rest stop. I don't care how my relationship with God is. And as a Christian, that's dangerous. That's a dangerous place to be. A lot of times this happens when you're a teenager. When you start to make your own decisions, you have your own thoughts, your ideas that the first time you this is the first time anyone in history has come up with these ideas and you're the, you've figured it out. Remember when you were there? I remember when I was there. Graduated high school, I, I, I had it all figured out. I mean, I was 18. Adult? I can go to war. Like, I'm an adult. I can go kill people. So obviously, I'm an adult. That's what that equates to that. So I figured things out. I know what to do. And you know what? For me, when I was 18, God, I, I don't know if I was in the I don't care, shake my fist, but I really didn't care how my relationship with God was. Was I at church every week? Yep. Did I go to Sunday school? Sure did. How about Wednesday night? Yeah, I was there too. But did I care how God and I were? No, I did not. I had my own plans. I had my own ideas. For me, I was going to go to SDSU. I was going to go to pharmacy school. And I was going to make 80 grand a year as soon as I graduated. Because that's what they do. Pharmacists make like, and this was not just yesterday. It's a while ago. That, that's what I was going to do. And you know what? For a year and a half, I went to SDSU. Guess what? They don't let you do pharmacy school in that first year and a half. You got to do organic chemistry. You got to do biology. You got to do, you got to do Spanish. No habla espanol. Okay? You had to do Spanish. That's, but for me, I wanted to be a pharmacist. Honestly, I didn't want to be a pharmacist. I wanted to make money. I wanted to be comfortable. I wanted to have whatever I wanted to have. And so if someone were to ask me, even the Sunday school teacher where I sat in Sunday school that Sunday morning, if you were to ask me, how are you and God? I would have been like, I don't care. I'm busy. That, that can wait. And that was my attitude then. Dangerous place to be. Thankfully, I, my parents kept me in church. They didn't let me do what I want. They made me come to church, and guess, well, they, yeah, they made me come. And most of the time, Dad was like, you sit right here, bud. That was, that was me. I, my heart was not there, but my derriere was right there next to Dad. You sit right here because this is what we do. And one time, the preacher came visiting, and he preached a sermon, and God smacked me right in the heart. And God said, you don't care about your relationship with me, but I do. And the, the preacher came and he talked about the crucifixion. He had a giant piece of lumber. And he brought one of the big, huge railroad tie nails to demonstrate Christ being nailed to the cross. And he had a sledgehammer. And he over-exaggerated a little bit, but he slammed right on the pulpit where the microphone was, and he hammered that nail into that piece of lumber. And it was God was just hammering right into my heart. And it smacked me right inside the face and said, God still cares about our relationship. And he wanted one. And it changed my heart. I went to Bible college. I met my wife. I, it, it honestly, it turned my life around. 
And it it made me not just live for self, but to want to live for him. And then I did begin to care. But when you don't care, and if that hadn't gotten to me, then what was God's next step? What would God's next step have been to get my attention, to say, I want a relationship with you, even though you don't, I do. Once you're saved, you're always saved. You're always his kid. Your son, your daughter, as they grow up and they make mistakes, does that make them not your son or daughter? No. They could make the worst mistakes in the world. They could end up in jail for terrible, terrible mistakes. But guess what? They're still your son, aren't they? They're still your daughter, aren't they? It doesn't matter what they do. They still are your children. So regardless of what we do, once you're saved, you're still God's child. And he still wants to have a relationship with you. And he will go to extreme measures to have a relationship with you, to get to know you, regardless of where you're at. So luckily for me, God got my attention in a church, not somewhere a lot worse. So if that's where your heart is today, I don't care, that needs to be changed. God's ready to make the move. God's ready to be there for you. And he does chasten his children. Don't let it come to that. Be willing and start to move towards him now. So first one, I don't know. Second one, I don't care. How are you and God? Not good. That's the third answer, possible. Not good. We've probably all been here. You and God just aren't connecting. You're praying, you're trying, just nothing's happening. It's like you pray and your prayers just bounce right back off the ceiling. Like God doesn't hear you. God doesn't listen. That can lead to, man, this is really frustrating. That can lead to some bitterness. That can lead to apathy. Not good. How are you and God? It could be not good. God seems very far away. Maybe even uninterested. I promise you, God is not uninterested. God is more interested than you even can fathom. He's interested in you and what's going on in your life. And he knows. Sometimes there are things in our life that will prevent our relationship from being what it should be, that will cause it to be not good, the answer to be not good. Sometimes it's something in our heart. Sometimes it's something that we just can't let go of. Sometimes there are sins that we hang on to that, and I talked about this in Sunday school a little bit, there are things that you put in that little closet in your heart that no one else gets to go to. It's your space. Your spouse doesn't get to go there. Your best friend doesn't go there. That's your place in your heart that's just yours alone. But surprise, God's there too. But sometimes we have a hard time letting those things go and we hang on to them. And if we do that, that's going to that's gonna prevent your relationship with God from being what it should be. That's going to cause the not good answer because we're keeping things. We're not being transparent with God. We're not moving and drawing nigh to him. We're pulling away. Whenever your kid wants to hide something from you, he doesn't just put it out in front. He's in the pocket, stuck down here. They're hunched over. It's, you know, you know the look. You're trying to hide something. You don't draw nigh when you're trying to keep something away. And sometimes, as Christians, once we start down that path, we can think it's too difficult to break away either because we can't let it go, whatever we're hanging on to, or I'm just so far down, man, I I feel bad. I don't think God would want to have a relationship with me. I've held on to this thing for so long, or I've had 
this issue. Maybe it's my temper. Maybe it's my pride. Maybe it's just the way I'm just, I'm unhappy. Maybe I'm curt with people. I, I just real short with people. Not because I'm a mean person, but I just, I have this bad habit of just, maybe I think I'm better. And we think sometimes after we've gone that way for so long, well, I can't turn around now. I'm so far down this road. God, he's going to be real mad if I ever turn around. And we have this idea that as soon as we maybe think about giving something up or, or fixing something, that God's going to be mad and punish us. Like, oh, finally, you're admitting to it. Now you're in trouble. Boom. Now we're smitten or something. God's not like that, though, is he? God has mercy. As soon as we're ready to turn towards him, again, he's there. He's, he's, if he could run into you, he would have ran into you. He's so quick to get back to you. He wants you and him to be better than not good. God's ready to draw an eye to you. Regardless of where you're at, if your answer is not good, turn back to him now. Turn back to him today. Don't wait a day. Don't wait a decade. Don't wait till your kids are gone. Don't wait until you've got grandkids. Do it now. Turn back to him today. A fourth answer that we could give, and God, how are you and God? This is kind of a dual answer. Good could be better. So it's, it's better than not good. You're in a good place. You have a relationship with God. It's good. Could be better. And I think probably this is where hopefully most of us live. Hopefully most of us live in this answer. When, when asked, if you were to ask yourself or if pastor, when he comes back, he just asks you just straight up, right? No, no breaking the ice, no small talk, just straight up shakes your hand. How are you in God? Hopefully your answer could be, good. We're good. God and I are good. As Christians, we should spend a lot of our time there. When your fellowship with God is sweet. You ever read your Bible? You get done reading your Bible, just like, man, your heart feels full. You enjoyed that time. You spent time with your Father, your Heavenly Father, and, and the time spent was, was enjoyable, was sweet. You can't explain it. Remember, when you dated your, house, your husband and your wife, and for me, I was at Bible college, right? So we had rules at Bible college. You could do things. You couldn't do other things. You know, like colleges today, you go to SDSU, you can, girls can go in the guys' dorms, guys can go in the girls' dorms. There's no rules. Bible college, there are rules. Guys, you're not allowed in girls' dorms because, duh, right? Duh. Girls, you stay in your own dorms. So if you wanted to date each other, well, you, you had times to do that. Um, we had, there was chapel, you could date in chapel. It's kind of like dating in church. You get to sit next to each other and listen to a preacher. Oh, it's so, so romantic. So romantic. You could eat in the cafeteria together. Okay, again, Bible college. You could eat on premises. Can you go out to dates? If you have a chaperone, you can, you can arrange and schedule a date off campus with a chaperone. But you can't just go off campus. You can't go to McDonald's by, by yourselves. You can't do that. This is Bible college. There are rules. They're trying to keep you from making mistakes. So you took the times where, whether it was chapel, whether it was the cafeteria, or whether it was, what did they call the place where we would meet? Liberty Square. Liberty Square. 
It's where the cafeteria was, right? Like, that's where you would pay for the food. Like, your tuition paid for your cafeteria food, lunch, breakfast. Like, those things were provided. But if you wanted to spend more money, you go to Liberty Square. And you sit at a table, and you have dates. And you bring, you bring Jenga, and you don't play it on a pulpit, you play it on the table, right? We played Jenga in here a few weeks ago. And you have dates together, and you plan those. And when you sit down, when you're dating someone, you, you're really falling head over heels for them. You're trying to get to know them. And it was your spouse. You, man, you, you were in love. This is the one. You know it. She doesn't know it yet, but you know it. And you're going to convince her that this is how it's going to be. And you date each other, and you get to know each other, and you, you fall in love with each other. You find out about them. When, when those times for us were done, when curfew would come and we'd have to separate and go our separate ways, I would catch her, not me, her all the time, skipping down the hallway. Just like the, the love letter I wrote here in her one hand, she's up here in like the fourth or fifth row on this side if you want to look at her. She's just skipping down the, the hallway, letter in hand, just cloud nine, man. Just had the best date ever. She's just head over heels for me. No, that was me. I'd go up the stairs to the dorm room and, you know, I'd just be like, oh, she smelled so pretty. She just smelled so good. I just love her so much. You get up to your dorm room and all, all your roommates would be like, would make fun of you. They'd try to take your love letter from you and read it out in front of everyone else. But you'd go away from that date, and at least I did. I had a good time. I enjoyed the time I spent with her. I walked away looking forward to seeing her the next day looking forward to being able to spend more time with her the next time I possibly could. Why do you think our relationship with God should be any different? If you're in a place where your relationship with God is good, that's how it feels. You cannot wait till the next time you get alone time. And let's be honest, alone time's tough. Alone time is tough in this day and age to get by yourself where it's quiet. There's no two-year-old bouncing off the walls. There's no 11-year-old trying to get you to do things that he can do real, real easy by himself. There's no one trying to get your time. And you have the wherewithal to meditate and focus on God. What a great time. What an amazing time. You're growing. You're learning. You're following. You and God talk regularly. Not just at church, but you have a time where you talk. You spend time with him. Man, that's a good time. So how are you and God? Hopefully your answer is good, and hopefully that describes it. Sometimes, you know, even when it's good, you don't have all the answers. That doesn't mean everything's perfect. That doesn't mean you don't have issues. That doesn't mean that you don't have trials or troubles. That doesn't mean that everything's just top cloud nine all the time. It means life still happens, but you know God, and you know God knows. And when bad things come, you're like, I'll just talk to God about it. I've got this relationship. My relationship, how God and I are, is good. And so I can talk to him. And I can bring it to him. And he's, he understands. And he knows. And for anyone that answered the questions before this with not good, I don't care, I don't know, people that hear me say, well, God knows, they go, yeah, right. God isn't like that. I've never had that experience where God just knew and I, I was confident in that my problems would be taken care of. But when you get to a place where your relationship is strong enough and you know God and God knows you and your relationship is on good terms, that is how it goes, isn't it? When troubles come, they're hard and you cry and you worry, but then you've got this relationship with your Heavenly Father that He's like, I know, there's a reason. 
There's a reason it's happening. Trust me, we'll get through it. You'll be better off when we're done. I promise. And even when you're like, I, I don't see it. I, we have a good relationship, God, and I can tell you right now, I don't see how this is going to be good. I see no good outcome from when this is over. But you're God, and I'll trust you. I just want you to know it's going to be hard. I'm having a hard time with it, but I'm with you because our relationship is good. And when it does come to the other side, and you do get to see how, see how that works out and see what the good things are, you will understand. Some of those things you may not find out till you're in heaven. There may be times in your life and situations that come up that you on earth will not see a how did this work out, God. But when you get to heaven, God can show you all the reasons why. Things that you were unable to see here on earth. But when your relationship with God is good, and when someone says, how are you in God, and it's good, you trust him because you know he knows. Lastly, and this is where I'll have you turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Just back a couple pages. Hebrews chapter 10. When someone asks you, or you would ask yourself, how are you in God? The last answer, which is even better than good, could be great. Like the best it's ever been. That, that for you in, in your life, hopefully that was your wedding day, right? The, oh, the best up to this point in my life, this is the best place our relationship has ever, ever been. We're about to commit to spend our lives together, to grow old together, to, to live and be, cleave to each other, be one. The best part our relationship has ever been. It's very similar to good in the answer, but this is a point where I don't know if we'll ever actually fully arrive at great until we have our glorified bodies. Because we constantly are going to struggle with our carnality, aren't we? We're constantly going to struggle with our sin, and there's always going to be sin in our life that's going to try to prevent our relationship with God. The devil's always going to try to trip you up. The devil knows you pretty well. He knows what buttons to push, so to speak. He knows what he can put down in front of you that could be a stumbling block and, and can strain your relationship with God. And he's going to do that. As a Christian, that's, that's his number one priority. Strain your relationship with God. He can't, he can't take you to hell with him anymore. He can't break that salvation bond, but he can trip you up. He can strain your relationship with your father, and he's going to constantly and continually try to do that. He's always going to try to do that. And the better your relationship gets, the more he's going to fight you. The more your carnality, the more the devil is going to try to fight you to break that relationship bond. Because the stronger bonds that Christians have with God, man, the, the, the more of his work is going to get done. The more work that his, of God's work that gets done, the tougher it is for the devil. And he hates that. He hates God with all that he is. He should be God in his eyes. And if you worship God and not him... He's not okay with that. So to get to that point where we're, our relationship is perfect, that's going to happen in heaven, and that's something to look forward to. Can you imagine having a relationship with God without having sin, without having to fight sin, without having old age, without, man, my knees hurt at work this week. What? I'm, not, I'm 37 years old, and my knees, I was at work, just working, just doing my thing. We own Zestos, making people lunch. I'm like, man, what's going on? My grandma, she works there too. 
My 82-year-old grandma's like, what's wrong with you? Do you really complain about your knees hurting to your 82-year-old grandmother? I was like, my knees hurt, Grandma. So I did. I totally did. So my knees hurt. And she's like, yeah, she's, I mean, the sweetest thing in the world. She's like, oh, well, you stand a lot. It's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> Made me feel real good. You know, my 82-year-old grandmother's like giving me permission to have hurt knees and complain about it. We get old. Our knees start hurting. Our back starts hurting. We can't see very good anymore. We can't hear anymore. Sin takes a toll on our life and just pulls us down and drags us down and consumes everything we do. When heaven comes, when our glorified bodies come, we won't have to deal with that. And our relationship with God will be perfect. You will have that relationship with Him that you've never had on earth. And man, I cannot wait. I cannot wait for that day. I cannot wait to have that relationship with Him. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 19. Having therefore, brethren, behold, bold, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. You have a home in heaven. Children of God, people that that know God as their Savior, that know Jesus as their Savior, you have a home in heaven someday. And while our, our world gets busy and we get busy, we tend to lose sight of that. We tend to lose sight of the fact that heaven is a real place that we're going to go to someday. Something to look forward to. And when you start to lose sight that that's a reality, things around us will start to dra- distract us. Things around us will start to pull our attention away from God. But if we always understand and focus that our end goal is heaven, that that's where we're going to be, and knowing that you will spend eternity with God there, that will cause you to understand you need to work on your relationship here. You're going to want to work on your relationship here because of what your future holds for you. You, don't, you have hope. You know where you're going to go. How many people in this world don't know? Answer number one, I don't know. How do you live with that? in your heart. How do they make it? How do they make it day to day when bad things happen and they have no relationship with God? I don't know. I don't know how they do it. They fill it with other, other things. They substitute their relationship with God with stuff and problems and it just gets worse. So for us as Christians, God expects us to work on that relationship and it benefits you to do so. So, the next time someone asks you, how are you and God? And parents, again, I challenge you to ask, straight up ask your kids that. Just point blank. Then ask yourself that. Ask each other, how are you and God? I don't know. I don't care. Not good. Real good. But getting better or great. Where are you at? Right now. If I came to you after and said, how are you and God, what would your answer be if you were honest? We can all say good and pretend. 
But if you were honest and transparent with yourself and with whoever asked you, what would your answer be? How are you and God? How are you? And are you okay with that? Are you okay with your answer? Let's work on getting to the place where we're good. That's where God wants us to be. God's ready. He's waiting. He's there. He's on the couch. He's got his arm around. All you have to do is lean in. And he's right there waiting for you. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.